you remember we've been going, this is I think the 24th week, half a year, we've been going through the book of 1 Corinthians, and we're coming to a conclusion. <clears throat> Don't hold the applause. Right? <laughs> you know, I think uh, Paul, if you remember, uh, he was asked questions, you remember you saw that in chapter 7, you see it in 15 and so on. So he answers questions that he was asked. And then Chloe's people also came, if you remember chapter 1 and verse 11, and told them about problems. And so he's also addressing, he addressed the problems. So now you've gone through for 15 and a half chapters, you've addressed the problems, you've addressed questions, so how do you say farewell? So I think it's interesting, there's different types of farewells, I think you'd all agree. After church today, you're going to have one type of farewell, right? You're going to say goodbye to each other as you leave. Now, that's going to be a little different than some of the other farewells. I remember when uh, Ruth Ketchum, which is who Ruthie is named after, uh, had cancer real bad, and we were made different trips to Alabama. And anytime you'd see her, she would never, uh, she hated to say goodbye. So she, when she said goodbye, she'd turn around and she'd never turn back around. But the last time she knew and we knew that it would be the last time we'd see her. And sure enough, she turned around and she was watching us as we left. We both, you know, all of us knew. It was a different farewell. And you knew this was the final time. Wouldn't see her again until heaven. Reminds me also, Jeans uh, has a relative that <clears throat> fought in the Civil War. And the letters, they would then write letters between, between him and his wife. And they're now in, in Auburn. They have them on record. But they would take pieces of wallpaper. But they were so poor, they'd take pieces of wallpaper off the wall and they would write it to him, and then he would turn it over and write on the other side of the piece of wallpaper and send it back. And uh, he died then. Uh, uh, sadly, after the war, they'd already signed the papers, but they didn't get the record that it was signed, and he died down at the battle down at Mobile. But needless to say, that's a different type of farewell in those letters, because you never know when you write that letter, are you, is this the last letter you're going to get? Well, there's different letters of farewells you have in Scripture, too. If you think about it, Paul in 2 Timothy 4 and verse, uh, <clears throat> you know, in verse 4, I fought the good, or verse 7, I fought the good fight, what? I finished the course, I've kept the faith. That's a final farewell to everyone, right? Jesus, in, when he had in uh, John 19.30, when he said, it is finished, he's completed the course. Well, this is a different farewell. He plans, I'm talking about Paul now, and he writes this, he plans on seeing him. But how are you going to, the final farewell, how are you going to summarize the book? How are you going to summarize everything to let them know you still care about them, but you want to go ahead and give a couple of real quick instructions again on summarizing the whole book? Well, that's what he's going to do here. In verse 13 and 14 of chapter 16, he's going to summarize the whole book. He gives five commands. There's five commands that he gives in verse 13 and 14. The first one, if you notice in verse 13, is be on the alert. It's interesting to be on the alert or be on your guard. And the reason for that, if you have, and it can be taken different ways. But if you remember in Matthew 24, verse 42, Christ also says to be on your alert because you don't know when he's going to come back. Now he's speaking of the second coming. But that would be true today too. Can Christ come back at any time? Yeah, how many of us are ready? Could he come back this afternoon? So how many of us are ready to be alert, ready for his coming? 
Very similar, if you remember, with the ten virgins. How many of them are ready for the return of Christ and how many of them were? Five were and five were not. Also, to be on the alert has to do with your arrival. In 1 Peter chapter 5, it says Satan is roaring like a roaring lion and you were told to be alert because he's seeking whom he may what? Devour. Devour. Ready to attack the weak and so on. You stop and think about it. In Ephesians chapter 6, let's look at that one for a minute. It's another one I think is interesting. Ephesians chapter 6 on being alert. Ephesians chapter 6. Notice in verse 10, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of His might. And then notice also it says, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand. I think to be on the alert or be on your guard, we need to, uh, if you know the enemy's coming, let me ask you this question. If you knew that you were going to be robbed tonight, you were told between one and three, how many of you would be alert? How many of you might be armed? Okay? So how many of us, by the way, in Ephesians chapter 6, it says to put on the armor, it's aorist tense, which means you put it on and you never take it off. If I'm going to go fight somebody and I see them have their armor on, I'll be a little more cautious. So I see them take their armor off, that's the time to attack because they don't have any way of defending themselves. No offensive weapons, no defense, nothing. So you think about it, we're to be, you know, be alert, be on our guard. So how many of you are ready for an attack? When you drive home today, I suspect we're all going to be a little more cautious as we drive, correct? Because you never know about the conservative guy next to you, right? <laughs> Coming up here today, I was telling Tommy I was doing 55 to 60. I didn't pass a single soul. Oh, however, I was passed quite a few times. Alright, so be alert. Second one, notice he says to stand firm back in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Notice he says to stand firm in your faith. If you think about it in chapter 15, he says the same thing in chapter 15, giving the explanation. Remember, he says to stand firm in what the gospel is. In verse 12 of chapter 15, they're allowing people to come in and are, te- are preaching and teaching there's no resurrection. How firm are they standing in their faith if they're now allowing people to come in and talk about there's no resurrection. That's the gospel. He very in verse 3 and 4, that's what they are preached, what the whole part of Christianity stands on is the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have to stand firm in our faith. You're also told that not only in our beliefs do we need to stand firm, stand firm on the part of, of work. Same words used in Galatians 5. You remember when Paul is talking in the... The Galatians are now allowing the Judaizers to come in and say you have to be circumcised, you need other things. Works to be added to your salvation. And we need to then stand firm. Don't get under the yoke of slavery in Galatians 5. So don't allow works to get into it. In Philippians 1, the same word says stand firm. It says stand firm in one spirit and one mind. Did the Corinthians, we go back to them, did they have any divisions in the church? I mean, they have divisions all throughout their church, and they need to stand together. Do we have any divisions in our nation today? You know, be ripe for attack so far as there is no unity there. 
You also have in Philippians 4, in chapter 1, it says to stand firm with regard to your works. If you go back to chapter 3, remember it says forget what's behind and you know, pursue what's ahead. And then when he gets a little further on in verse 16 and 17 in chapter 3, he says you need to live to it within, within the standard that you've attained. And our remembering that it gets down to verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. So how many of us then are standing firm in our works and our belief and everything else that we're doing? Or is it that we're getting so many uh, bombarding from so many people today that we're starting to, to give in to a lot of different things? We're giving in to a lot of beliefs. Can you imagine our, how our, our grandparents and others would take what we're allowing today to take place? Would they have allowed it? No. So we need to stand firm with what we believe is a way of doing it in love. So notice, first of all, be alert. Second one, stand firm. So the third one, notice it says to act like men. Let me tell you, let me clarify it. He gives you two positives and two negatives. Two negatives, you remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he said, I couldn't talk to you like men. I have to talk to you like babies. Give you milk. And you get on to verse 4, he says you're acting like mere men, meaning non-believers. That's the negative part. Don't act like babies. Don't act like non-believers. But when he says to act like men, he's what he's actually referring to is when you go on a little bit further in Ephesians 5, if you remember in verse 15, he says, wise men, the days are evil, act like wise men, making the most of every day. I think, Harold, you made the reference to the fact that it was just like yesterday when Sophie was here as a little baby. Okay, that was yesterday. 20 years from now, in all honesty, 20 years from now, how many of us will be on this earth? There may be a couple in this room, but most of us won't be. So what have we done the last 20 years, and what are we going to do to prepare the people who are coming after us in the next 20 years? And so I think it's important for us to act like men, get ready, prepare he also talks about in Ephesians 4 to act like mature men. You remember it says that's one reason why he gives you preachers and teachers to, so you won't be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. You'll stand firm knowing as mature people what is in Scripture. With the Corinthians being tossed to and fro all over the place. So notice he says I want you to be alert. Look at the enemies coming in. I want you to stand firm. Don't give in to false teachers. Third one, act like mere men. Let me ask you something. How would others describe you? If people were describing you, how would they describe you? Would they say, well, he's a man of God? How would they describe you? It's interesting. I, I, when I, Gene and I, when we were younger, without kids and everything else, I used to like to go to some of the uh, older cemeteries in the South and read some of the, uh, the headstones. Some of the different ones are pretty amazing. I even saw some articles on them. One of them said, I told you I was dead, or I was sick. <laughs> and they actually had that etched into it. The other one, the wife got even. I know where you are tonight. I know where you are tonight. I mean, it's amazing what's in them. Think about it. How many of us are acting like men, godly men and women? The third one, notice what he tells you. Our fourth one, rather, in 1 Corinthians 15, he says to be strong. I think to clarify that, in Ephesians 6, we already read that. You remember it says, in the strength of the Lord. 
and you put on His armor. How many of us are trying to live the Christian life on our own? Paul tried it in Romans 7, and how well did it work? How many of you are trying to love people and give the right response on your own? It works for a while, and then what happens? Then that old nature comes back then, and you let them have it. Be strong. It's also, it talks about to be strong and steadfast. If you remember in Joshua chapter 1, how would you like to be Joshua, and you're, you're coming and you're going to lead the nation after Moses? Moses is the only one in all the scripture that it says he saw God how? Face to face. Now how many of you would like to follow somebody like that? That's why in those verses, short verses, three times he tells Joshua, be strong and courageous and do not turn to the right or to the left of what the Word of God says. Corinthians, Apollos has left. Corinthians, I have left. Don't turn to the right and don't turn to the left. And I think it's important how many of us are turning to the right and turning to the left or how many of us are staying true. I think it's interesting <clears throat> the kids had on the uh, movie Braveheart the other night when I walked in the room. If you remember one of the scenes, those of you who have seen the movie, and it makes the statement, I think it was the Battle of Sterling, I don't remember the exact battle, and the English was coming and they bring all their horsemen and bring everybody in and the <clears throat> the Braveheart people on his side basically say, well, it's now time for us to run. That's what we always do. And it's interesting, you know, that's when Mel Gibson rides through there and basically keeps telling them to hold, hold, hold. Don't run. Hold the fort. That's what we need with Christians. We need to be strong and we need to hold. We don't run. If you ever look at the armor that the, or, uh, Paul talks about when he, was in, uh, when he wrote Ephesus, the military armor that the Romans had, do you realize there is no armor that covered their back? I challenge you to read it. They only have armor in the front. No armor is covering the back at all. Because they were never supposed to what? You and I, the armor is for the front. We don't run. We stand firm. So I think about it. Notice the, the fifth one. He tells them then the final one, let all that you do in verse 14 be done in love. It's interesting, love. Think that first of all the concern. Was everything the Corinthians do are doing at the time of the book of Corinthians, was it done in love? Would they have had divisions if they had love? Would they be taking their brother to court in chapter 6 if they had love? Would they be practicing liberty to the extent that they could care less about their weaker brother if they had love? Now, obviously, the answer is no. Everything we do has to be with love. That's why in chapter 13 and verse 1, it says, if you do not have love, you're nothing but what? A noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. You, know, you look in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, which Paul writes the book of Corinthians from Ephesus, and it says they were noted for their love, but in chapter 2 of Revelation, it says they have left their first love. You can have it relying on the Holy Spirit, but when the Holy Spirit no longer controls you, you can do a lot of good things and be good doctrinally, but you have left your first love. And so it's so easy to do it. You see that a lot. Notice it's interesting. You have the concern. You have the clarity. You notice, I think, the clarity 
it's the word agape. Agape is a fruit of the Spirit. You cannot manufacture agape love on your own. And I think it's important. How many of us are trying to love people on our own? And it doesn't work. It's also interesting, I think, the coverage. It says all that you do. How many of us have certain people we love and certain ones that uh, we don't? You know? All that you do. It's interesting, 1 Peter 4 and verse 8, remember, says love covers what? <coughs> Multitude of sins. The longer you attend the church, how many times are you going to be hurt or are people going to do things to you that's wrong? I think anytime you get into leadership, one of the best statements I ever had was told you need to have a rhino skin. You need to have some pretty thick skin. So think about it on the love. As you, uh, our inspiration told us today, is your pen full? Or does it look really good on the outside, but there's nothing on the inside? So those are the five commands. Remember, he was summarizing it. Notice the second thing then in verse 15 and 16, he tells him to submit. Notice the request in 15 and 16. I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanas, that they were the first fruits of Achaia. Okay, Achaia, if you remember, Corinth is the capital of Achaia. That's the region. And that they were devoting themselves to the ministry of the saints. If you remember the household, some people believe, are trying to teach you that's infant baptism. This wouldn't be infants. This has only been a couple of years ago. So how could the household be leading the church if they're infants or children? So Stephanus would be older and he has adult children and they've all come to know Christ and they're leading, help leading the church. He says to submit to them, and the reason they're supposed to submit to them, notice they have devoted themselves for the ministry of the saints. Are they servant leaders? In 1 Peter chapter 5, remember it says you don't force people. The greatest leader is the one who is a servant leader. And the problem the Corinthians had, they're looking for all the oratory and the great speakers. And Paul's trying to say, well, Apollos isn't coming. I'm not there. But you have great leaders. You have Stephanus, his family, and his other two men. They're great leaders. That's who you need to listen to. They have a track record, and they're doing a good job, and they care about you. Submit to them. And obviously, you remember we saw last week the, with Timothy, the Corinthians were, had a tendency to eat people up, and so on. So you think about it, told to submit, and tells him why. Notice when you get to verse 16 also, that you be subjection to such men and to everyone who helps in the work and labor. They had a problem of submitting, but they have some servant leaders who are doing a great job. And submit to them. So notice one, he tells them then, he summarizes, and he tells them to submit. Um, and I think it's interesting when you, you look at it. Notice in verse 17 and 18, you have supply. And I rejoice over the coming of Stabanus, Fortunus, Archaeus. That last one there is probably a, a slave. Uh, and what they did is they would cut off the name of slave after the region he was from. And so notice then, he tells them what they did. He rejoices, they come. And the reason he rejoices in two parts, because they supplied what was lacking on your part. In 2 Corinthians 11 the Philippians supplied him. So in other words, when Paul was there and after he left, the Corinthians never helped him financially. And they should have. So when these men came, they then brought resources to help Paul out. They also, they refreshed him. Refreshing would be uh, his spirit and yours. 
what happens when you're, you know, you, if you're ever in ministry or doing different things, you get really discouraged. And what happens when somebody who comes in it, it really ministers and works in the Spirit and you guys have a great fellowship together? What happens? You, you may stay up half the night talking to them, but the next day, how refreshed are you? You may have lack sleep, but you're greatly refreshed. So these men came. By the way, who do you think brought the questions the Corinthians had for Paul to answer? These individuals. They cared enough to bring these questions to Paul. Now who do you think is going to be bringing the answers back? Okay, and that's how safe a place are they going from Greece all the way to Asia Minor and Asia Minor all the way back to Greece? And who do you think paid for that? So they, obviously they had a great concern for them in the supply. And notice then, again at the end of 18, therefore acknowledge such men. They may not have been great speakers, we don't know that, but based on what the Corinthians seemed to be going after, they probably were great men of God but may not have had the great oratory that the others had. So notice then you're told to, to uh, the summary, the five commands, told to submit, and then the supply. Notice the sincere greeting. In verse 19 and 20, you have the sincere greeting from four different individuals. So the churches of Asia greet you. That's probably the same seven churches that Paul writes to in Revelation 2 and 3. Yeah, you, you know, John wrote, yes, you're correct there, Don. Thank you. Uh, wrote those to them in Revelation. If you remember, you have Ephesus, Sardis, and Philadelphia, and so on. He has the different seven churches. And so they are then sending the greetings. The Asian churches, which you may not think like much, but stop and think about it. How well did Asia Minor and Greece get along? They did not. They didn't. Remember the Trojan horse? These two, nations, these two groups have been fighting each other for centuries. But among the believers, they're greeting each other back and forth. That shows then how they have to have the Holy Spirit controlling them because obviously that's the natural enemy. After World War II, how well did the, the people take to the Japanese or to the Germans? And so we have the same. They did. They buried them. Okay, so the Asians greet them. Notice the next one that greets them. Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their home. How many times are Aquila and Priscilla mentioned in the Bible? Four times. Most of the time, and some of the time, they've been mentioned more than once in a passage. So actually six total. Four of the times, her name is mentioned first before his. But they're an amazing uh, couple. If you remember in Acts chapter 18, the first time you see them mentioned, they were kicked out of Rome because of their belief. They come to Corinth. If you remember, they're tent makers. That's how Paul joins up with them. But how many of you want to allow Paul to join you if he just got kicked out of Rome as believers, which obviously they weren't a, a disciple of Paul because they were in Rome and Paul hadn't been to Rome. But they're a believer in Jesus Christ. They're a tent maker. And you get kicked out of Rome for being a Christian. Now you go to Corinth because Rome had how many port cities? It has three port cities. Thessalonica, Corinth, and the, uh, Ephesus. So if you're in the trade, how well would it be on be on a trade route in order to do it? So they go to Corinth. And notice that when they're at Corinth, then Paul comes. And how are you going to welcome the guy that just got kicked out of the last two churches he was at? The last two cities. Also, 
it says that they took Apollos, if you remember when Apollos didn't know about Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And he was an eloquent speaker, and he's mighty in the Old Testament. Now how would you be, as a tent maker, to take him aside and say, hey, you got all this right, but you don't have this right. He has come, and he has died, and he has rose again. And they corrected a godly, godly couple. If you remember, then they're with Paul in Ephesus then for 18 months. When Paul goes to, or in, in Corinth rather, when Paul then goes to Ephesus, which is where he writes 1 Corinthians, they go with him. They stay three years in Ephesus. Paul then takes the money, you remember, and goes down to Jerusalem. Paul then wants to go to Rome. You remember after he, and then on to Spain, you remember in Romans chapter 15. And he says to what? In Romans. Greet Aquila and Priscilla who has the church in their home. So they lead at Ephesus. They go to Rome, obviously anticipating Paul's return, where they got kicked out of church, kicked out for being a believer. They now have a church who's now meeting in their home in Rome. You're talking about an incredibly godly couple. Who are willing to, if you just set up a business in Corinth, how many of you want to start over? You get to Ephesus, how many of you want to start over? You get to Rome. Every time you find this couple, they are a godly couple and our church is in their home. And if the government is against the church, what are you sitting in? It also tells you when you read it, they risk their lives to save Paul. An amazing, amazing couple. Notice then, the Corinthians know all about it because they were there earlier for 18 months. They send their greetings. Well, notice who else sends their greetings. All the brethren greet you. Okay, do you think that's an amazing statement? Could we honestly say that all the brethren we get along from Asia Minor, all of them are sending their greetings to the Greeks, and vice versa? It's an amazing statement when they make this. So notice that sincere greeting. Notice what he tells them: then greet one another with what? A holy kiss. Think about it. That was an outward expression of love forgiveness, and then also that of acceptance. We do a lot of that today with what? A handshake. Have you ever shook somebody's hand, but it wasn't sincere? Glad to have you today. I wished you weren't here. You know, you, know, you can tell. Notice he said with a holy kiss. Sin sincere is a word, it's actually a word that means without wax. And it's used as a pottery term in which they would, unscrupulous vendors would, with pottery would crack and they would take wax and they'd fill it over and they'd fill the cracks until what happens? Until it got hot and then what happened? Wax would melt and the crack would be there, but you own it. So how many of us, when we are greeting people, is it without wax? It is true, sincere. So when you sign a letter sincerely, I know I have actually had somebody when they sign a letter to me would say without wax, which is what it is. How many of us are doing that? So you think about it, a sincere greeting. Are you greeting fellow believers without wax? When they come in and we have a visitor, glad to have you. Can they tell when it's sincere or not? Yes, they can. They may be polite enough not to tell you, 
but you'll you'll know when it's sincere then. So notice that sincere greeting, and then notice in verse 21 down to 24, you have a show and tell. First one says, the greeting is in my own hand, Paul. So he was dictating the letter up until now, but just to show that it's really his, he starts to write. Those of you that come on Wednesday night, do you think you could tell if a letter was from me or not? Well, that's such a nice laughter, isn't it? Pardon? You can see the writing, you'll know. You know, it's one of those deals. There's certain handwriting you can't distinguish. You cannot, uh, you don't know who wrote it, right? So Paul's doing the same thing and they know. They want to make sure this is for me. Paul would not want somebody, and by the way it does when it gets to 2 Thessalonians and so on, people wrote a letter and signed Paul's name to it. And so that could easily happen, a false teacher. So Paul is wanting them to realize, hey, this is for me. Second thing, notice the pattern. It says, if anyone does not love the Lord, let him be accursed. Okay, so if you love the Lord, you're going to need to love his children. And he's wanting it to hey, realize love is the key and you need to have the love of the Lord and that's what we need ever all around. Because without it, you're going to have a lot of divisions. Notice then that's, that's the pattern. Notice this plea. Maranatha. What does Maranatha mean? Our Lord come. Our Lord come. How do you want the Lord to come? Now stop and think about it. If the Lord comes today, which He could, a rapture, right? Where do you and I as believers go if the Lord came today? The judgment seat of Christ. Are you ready to meet him? You know, I've had students, I remember when I was teaching in high school years and years ago, said, I don't want the Lord to come. So, well, how come? Well, I want to get married and I want to have children and I want other things. I don't want him to come right now. At least there be an eye. Paul is saying, what Lord come? Is Paul ready for to meet the Lord? Philippians 1, to be absent from the body of the present Lord. Remember, he said, I prefer to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. He wanted to be. But he knew he needed to be with them to help him. So notice that's his plea. Notice his prayer. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Do they need grace? Unmerited favor? Did the Corinthians deserve the grace of God? Throughout this book, they really messed up so much of the time. But they needed God's grace and he's praying for God's unmerited favor. And then notice his promise. My love be with you, Paul. Did Paul care about him? He cared about him. He wanted him to know that he loved him. And love has to confront. Love has to do things. And he does that to him. So you think about it, when he writes this part of it, then in the closing, he has the summary, the five commands he wants him to do. You notice he also then he has the, wants him to submit to the leaders they have. They have great leaders. He also commends the leaders. And then he also... And tells you about the people greeting. So let's think about how we can just, just uh, summarize it today. How many of you are ready for an attack? Will you stand firm or give in to pressures? How many believe you will be attacked this week? You know, he's uh, he's out there, and uh, and his forces are out there. Second one: How would you how would others describe you? Mature, a wise person, a believer, or how would they describe you? Is love the governing factor, motivating factor in your life? 
what's the motivating factor of your life? Fourth one, are you are my greetings of fellow believers without wax? How well will I greet other people? Am I truly glad to see them? You think about it, Paul was in Ephesus, but he's still praying for who? The Corinthians. How do I respond to a godly servant, a leader? May not be the great orator, but he's a great servant of the Lord, and how do I treat him?